episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides. And with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing good, Jody. Welcome to episode 200. Woohoo! It's a lot of Yeah, work. 200 weeks. How are you doing? I am doing all right. This is my first time recording in a closet. What are we talking about today? We are talking about the ever sexy effects of reverb and delay. Mm-hmm. When to use them. Drilled down pretty hard in past episodes about how to use both of those. Never quite, I don't think, differentiated between the two of them. It's like when to use one or the other, or indeed if you're going to use both. Sounds like a big depth thing. <laughs> it is depth. We frequently talk about creating space in mixes when we're talking uh-huh. and spatial effects. If somebody's unfamiliar with those terms in the engineering sort of field there, that's what we generally talk about, spatial effects. Stuff that creates space, reverb and delay are, are the big ones there. Pros which one's the meat and which one is the potatoes? Ooh, going in a gastronomical theme here right away. <laughs> I would say the potato is probably the reverb. Okay. For me. Uh-huh. And I will justify that by saying that it's used a little bit heavier, perhaps. Okay. Overall, I guess it's more common that you use that than just delay. But contradict myself here to say that there are certain cases where we use delay as much. But I think when people think about reverb, it's what creates space. Uh-huh. And therefore, delay has to be the meat for All me. Right. What about you? <laughs> I'll go with your explanation. Most people would justify a spatial effect being reverb and delay. It's meat and potatoes. It's sort of like the old Forrest Gump saying, we go together like peas and carrots. Yeah. This is the meat and potatoes and peas and carrots would be chorus and ring modulation or something. Oh, okay. Right? Yep. All right. <laughs> let's, let's get off that topic. When do you, in your mixes, generally reach for a reverb? And why do you reach for a reverb and not a delay? Generally speaking, the instrument in question that needs the space, it depends on the type of genre I'm working in, for one. And two, since you asked specifically for a reverb, it depends on the value that I want room-wise, out of the part. That was a really long, esoteric way for you saying that when you want to place a certain instrument in an environment. Yes. Right. Okay. In other words, if you want a piano to sound like it's in a huge hall or a tiny room, will be informed of what type of music it is. Right. So if it's a pop track, perhaps, or something a little bit more dense, a smaller room might do the job. Whereas if it's a more classical performance, you might go for more of a hall thing because that would be the sort of expected environment for it to be taken part in or placed in. Is that what you were thinking? Nail hit right on head. I'm the same way because, I mean, it's like whenever I want to put something in a certain space, it's reverb. Uh generally. More often than not, for me, it's smaller things like rooms, Uh unless it's more like an effect, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Sometimes it could be creating a little bit of ambience around something, where if it's guitar, for example, electric guitar, even acoustic guitar, 
having just a little bit of room go into that tends to bring life into stuff for me. It's an interesting thing to say when you say life. I would mm -hmm. tend to agree with that exact same sentiment. I would say that it helps to increase the dynamic, lively value of the guitar as you were just expressing. Yeah. Let's say that we're dealing with an acoustic guitar. Mm -hmm. Tends to be, either if it's DI'd or not, or, or if you're miking it up, tends to be relatively close mic'd. And it's not like we always use a room mic or something to place in there. You could, of course. To bring it into more of a natural element, it would be nice to have a little bit of, of a room reverb or something. I'm placing that acoustic guitar now in a physical space. Yep. Depending on the situation, obviously, in the mix, there would be more or less of that room. Just adding a little bit can go a long way, I think. Oh, yeah. Just to bring that liveliness or even realism to that instrument. It would depend on the type of reverb you are using, but yeah. Now, if we have like a bound situation and there's more instruments that are going to be placed in a similar environment, uh -huh. it's not a bad idea to have them actually share the same reverb. But we have to be careful there again. Like if we have a lot of stuff going on in our mix, it's really easy to overcook the reverb and it creates a muddy mess to me. It sure can. So I, I, I don't disagree with yeah, that. So, so I tend to be a little bit more conservative with my reverbs it, as a general kind of like space placing <laughs> mm -hmm. an instrument into something where, where it just adds a little bit, but it's not super obvious. However, if I were to mute it, it would be really obvious that it's something that's missing. Sure. I don't disagree with do you? you. However, based on how I do mixes now which has a lot to do with the production value of things that I've done in the past for things that are not necessarily artist-related. I don't tend to use the same reverb across multiple different instrument groups anymore, mainly because the stems that I'm doing along with the actual outputs of the mixes require individuality of it. So all the guitars will get a certain reverb, the bass might get a certain reverb. The drums will get a certain reverb. They all get their own. And I might use the same room on each one of them, but it's the same room copied over, so to speak. I might have Sound City on drums, and then I might have another Sound City instance for the guitars, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's something, I mean, the sharing of the reverb to me has, there's two reasons for it. One is obviously, like we're saying, we like to put them all in the same space. But another one is also a little bit of a hangover from working with analog. And as we talked about last week, when we we're talking about you remixing and computing uh -huh. power and stuff, yeah. it was one of necessity where we just either didn't have more than one reverb unit as a hardware, or we simply didn't have the processing power. Exactly. So now we we have that luxury, like you described, that like you can just copy it over and you're uh -huh. going to be absolutely fine and, and tweak things a little bit. That is a nice thing to do. I do want to ask you to explain a little bit more when you say stems, how you and I, when we talk about stems, we talk about stems in the traditional sense that we're talking about groups of tracks. 
Right. A lot of times people that I'll send them to stems, you're actually talking about multi-tracks, but you're thinking of stems here That's in the traditional stems. sense yes. of what stems in. Yeah. Meaning right. that all the drums are on one drum stem. Yeah. If there's more than one bass, there's a bass stem with multiple basses to it. With the guitars, it's all the guitars grouped to a guitar stem. If it's vocals, like lead vocals, all the lead vocals are grouped to a lead vocal stem. All the background vocals are grouped to a background vocal stem. Generally speaking, for synthesizers and pianos, I group those together as all one kind of VI stem. If there's orchestral stuff, I might branch out, depending on how intricate the orchestral section is, I might do individual stems inside the orchestra or I might just put all the orchestra parts on one orchestral stem. Good. I just wanted to kind of clear that up. So it's like, well, he's got reverb on every multi-track. No, it's on no, the stems. It's on the stems. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So besides sharing a sort of physical space, sometimes we go for a little bit more of a vibe or, or creating emotion using reverbs. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking here we have longer tails, and reverbs will, for me, generally be like halls and plates and that kind of thing yeah. to create more of a vibe. This goes into a little bit more like sound design things as well. When would be a case when you would use something that, that is a longer, more effect-driven kind of reverb? It would really depend on either the special effect nature that I need on a part, or I just want something swimming. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> Break out your snorkels. That's it's right. Gonna get Break wet. out is going to get super wet. There is a song I recently dealt with in the remixing of things, and based on the title, it lends itself to having long washes of reverb. Unlike when I originally did it some decades ago, there are better reverbs now. I was able to change an effect that I did then to be similar to the effect then and having done it now, just has such a nicer long tail to it than it had originally. And it makes me smile, even just thinking about it, because <laughs> it's so much better than what it was. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes reverbs that, that, let's say the algorithms haven't been as good, mm -hmm. you, you could hear in the tail, you could hear a little bit of gradiness, and it just kind of, it's not very natural, yep. the way they tail off. But you're right, I think... Usually when I reach for things that are going to have more of a presence, longer things, it's either one from, like I said, sound design, or if it really is room enough in the arrangement for it, right? So let's say that if you have more of a ballady thing with sparse instrumentation, the vocal might get treated with a little bit more tail than I normally would in a normal rock mix or whatever. Yeah. Of course... The vibe that I'm talking about is also, it's like if you're hearing, let's say, for example, you mentioned Taylor Swift last week, so I'm going to do it this week. Yes. Uh, let's say her song, like This Love, off the 1989 record. It's almost like very ethereal to me, the, the production of that track. And I think it's uh -huh. absolutely glorious. But there's a case where there's longer tales and it, it gives off that vibe. Had the reverbs not been there, it would be a drastically different sounding song. Sure. Right? But because it's a more sparse arrangement, it works, and it sounds just awesome to me. Is there something that you do to reverbs when you have a long tail? Yeah, I frequently do, even when they're not 
longer, I always EQ my returns. So I sometimes time it to a track, but not necessarily when there's these longer things. But I do shelve a lot, like the high end or the low end, just to make it not completely take over the mix, especially if it's really, really present. Mm -hmm. Because too much reverb, again, will generally muddy up the mix. And there's just no room for all of that. EQing out helps a lot with that, I think. I'm sure that's something that you do as well. I don't disagree. You do have to be very careful on that kind of thing. And using EQs helps a lot. Absolutely. Moving on from the reverb, let's talk a little bit about delay. What about delays? How do you use delays, especially when you are not thinking in terms of reverb? Or take that back. How do you use delays when you're using them in conjunction with reverbs? Well, I would say before even talking about in conjunction with that, Mm -hmm. let's say that I have a mix that I want to create a certain space or spatial element to a track, but it is a dense mix. And a reverb is simply not going to work. It's just going to make things worse as far as like from a mixing clarity standpoint. I might use short delays with very few repeats Uh just to have something kind of an ambience setting there. I like that as a great substitute to reverb, especially, like I said, in, in a dense mix. And I know using delays is something that you do when you kind of recreate slapbacks and things like that to create I do. Your, your vocals primarily, right? Mm-hmm. I do, I do, I do. I actually use a lot of short delays and reverbs in conjunction with each other quite often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just to sculpt the sound of primarily vocals or do you do it on just about everything? Primarily vocals, but I also do it on other things depending on the nature of the mix or the nature of the song and the idea behind where it's going. There's one song that I can think of that I had done a mix for for a friend of mine. The song itself called for more of a rockabilly feel to it. And rockabilly really has a strong desire to have a lot of slapback to it in a sense in my mind. And especially oh, I, I this, agree with you there, yeah. And especially on this particular mix that I did for this friend, but the original mix that I was sent and the way they did it, they didn't have that. They didn't even realize it kind of thing. And I'm like, you need to do this. This is going to bring out the life in the song. So that's where it's a a good idea to understand the concept of what you're going for, of whether you're going to use a reverb or a delay or a combination of both. And on that particular song, I used all delays to create the feel of everything that went on. But a vast majority of the time, I'm using a combination. Right. Now, when you're using these, do you tend to sync those to the song or is it just by an ear thing? Because for me, I I tend to, if I'm just creating space with delay, I don't necessarily want the effect of a synced echo Mm. necessarily. So I tend to not always sync those. Is that something that you... Are you a little loose with, or how do you go about doing that? I'm going to say 90-10. 90 times out of 100, I'm probably syncing it to the tempo in some way. 10% of the time, probably not. Because I feel like when they're so short, if in the case of a slap here, like you're kind of doing, because I'm talking 
maybe if the tempo's fast, I'm thinking like a 16th note, mm -hmm. you know, could be shorter. Depending on the tempo there, it's not a whole lot of time. So to me, it's more of a an ear thing. That being said, I am a fan of synced delays in, in most cases because I, I just think it sounds really, really musical. The other thing um, I think about in terms of syncing delays is clarity. You can easily define clarity by how you deal with your delays. Last yeah. week, we were talking about these remixes and the timing corrections. A lot of the timing corrections that I'm making were literally for clarity's sake yeah. <laughs> overall. Yeah, no, you're right, because it gets more, or less of the smearing thing mm -hmm. that you do where it's just there's just stuff happening. And, and as I like to say, it sounds like a Vegas casino, right? There's noise everywhere coming at you. Yeah. Tidying those things up can obviously add focus to that. Now, other times when you might use delay besides what we just talked about, wh where do you go about? Do you experiment with this kind of stuff a lot or, or how do you like to use stuff? I would like to say that I've experimented a lot with using delays to create rhythmic parts, and that would be, unfortunately, a lie. But the few times that I have done that, it's actually been really interesting and fun. There is an artist that is extraordinary at this, and that would be The Edge, who plays guitar for U2. <laughs> yeah. He's an amazing <laughs> yeah. user of delay parts to really create rhythmic things that you couldn't do just by your sheer hands, or at least you wouldn't be able to do them easily. Not too long ago, I watched a video of Eric Valentine talking about zombies from hell. I took the values that he used in recording the guitar parts for that song and the drums for that matter, and created a guitar patch to play the part that he had created using that delay setup. The crazy thing is, is that in order to play the song effectively, you have to use delays. If you do not use delays, you cannot physically play that song on guitar. And I always wondered why it was he breaks so damned. Yeah, where he breaks down how he did Zombies from Hell. And that's why I could never fully figure out how that song was played on guitar. It was just too much finger ringing so much <laughs> to, to be able to play the part and play it the same way and do it right. And then learning that it was primarily all delays with a rather much more simple strumming pattern. Yeah. It was like, oh, good God. So that was eye-opening to me. And I know that going forward, I'm going to probably use that technique. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of creating those parts, especially when it comes to guitar things, right? Because I'm a big Edge fan, but but also there's a lot of other bands that do a very similar thing. And I, I love that sound. Same thing with like keyboards uh -huh. and that type of stuff. It can really, really bring a whole new life. But one thing that I think some people don't think about is that when you're dealing with rhythmic elements, how sometimes just adding delays to those synced to the tempo of, of a loop or the part that you're dealing with uh -huh. can really, again, just spark a whole new idea and add life and interest to something that is, without the delay, just pretty dull and it doesn't really have anything. So I think that's really cool. Now we're getting into a little bit more of a sound design and, and possibly less of like a mix thing. If you have a part that isn't really gelling in the song, try throwing a, a delay on it and it works great to kind of add some, a little bit more life to it. Sure. 
Now, as I say life here again, and if you're playing along and you're doing a drinking game to the amount of times I say life this episode, see in the emergency room, right? I think this is something that helps guitar players a lot, and I count myself among them, how it changes the way I play, mm -hmm. especially if I'm doing melodic parts, right? I find that a lot of players will play differently when they have a delay on their signal as oh, yeah. opposed to when they don't. Much more happy to leave gaps. Whereas if you're doing like a phrasing thing and now all of a sudden it's just quiet. As guitar players, we tend to want to fill those gaps because people are going to realize we suck if we don't play <laughs> at all times, right? Maybe. It's one from like inspiration, I think, is really, really cool to kind of, like even when you're tracking then, right? It will bring out the best in people. Of course, if you have a busy part, you might just create a mess of noise coming at you. But imagine David Gilmore without delays or even like The Edge and stuff. Uh -huh. It just adds to that that spatialness. So I, I'm a big fan of delays on that, but that's how I tend to use them anyway. Well, there it is. But you mentioned off the top of there though as well, like using both in conjunction. Yes, what kind of vocals would you do that on? Do you do it on every mix when you record vocals? Not 100% of the time, but a vast majority of the time, I am using delays and reverbs in conjunction with each other. Sometimes my yeah. initial vocal slap that I call it is a delay. Sometimes it's a reverb set to be like a delay or an echo unit of some sort. However, I break it down into two to three parts for effects in terms of the space. One being the slap, two being the tail, and three being a possible extra delay going on to create yeah. additional space in the distance. It's the combination of the three in varying ways that give me a much larger lead vocal sound than just always doubling and tripling and tracking multiple amounts to try and layer vocals, in my mind. And how I do it. I agree. I tend to, especially on lead vocals, when I mix those, I, it tends to be a combination of things. I'm not as judicious with slap as you are. I tend to use a sort of short room ambience type of a thing of lead vocals. And that, that's just about all the time because it uh -huh. just helps it sit a little bit more. And then depending on the track, of course, there will be something a little bit longer that adds the vibe to it and quite even possibly some some delay so i might also do like a triple effect on the lead vocal just to have it give the sound that it wants but again this is heavily dependent on the source material yeah. right what kind of track it is on other elements i tend to not use multiple instances no it's generally the, the vocal that gets multiples for me as well Unless it's, again, like a sound designer type of thing where it's a keyboard part or something uh -huh. where there will be frequently delay and reverb on it. But again, depending on the part, right? Do you have a favorite delay and reverb unit that you like to use a lot? I do. There's two I tend to reach for most of the time. As far as reverb, it's Verb Suite Classics uh -huh. from Slate Digital. Uh -huh. It's in conjunction with Liquid Sonics, but that has so many emulations in it. And what I tend to reach for first in that unit tends to be 
either like a, a Lexicon 480 or some form of a Bricasti. Those are just my go-tos just because I, I like the way they sound. Yep. Other reverbs I, I have to mention, I mean, last week was my Friday find. <laughs> that's the UA Sound City, right? So I kind of have to say that. Okay. But another one that's a little bit more uh, unusual, I think, as far as like being used by the majority, but it's Eventide's T-verb. Mm. I love that on vocal because it seems to be, you just slap that on and it just sounds awesome. And it's not a long, super long tail, the way I tend to use it. It's just the space. Mm -hmm. So those are my big reverbs. Uh, when it comes to delays, again, it's a slate thing in conjunction with D16. It's, it's a plugin called Repeater. Mm. And that is covering all my delay bases, basically. Because again, it has a lot of different types of delays in it. Right. That gets most of my use. But then there's, there's stuff I have to mention as well. Just like when it comes to more of the sound design stuff, I, I really like Eventide's Black Hole. Gotcha. That's really, really good. I would never use it on like lead vocal. <laughs> That's not <laughs> what that does. But because right. it would just be too much, right? Another one, Valhalla Supermassive, I think is a fantastic for, for that kind of sound design and glacial fucking synth pads and stuff. It just sounds awesome. <laughs> right. So that that's my first, that was a, quite a list, but those are my go-tos generally. What sure. about you? What do you reach for? It depends on the project. I do sure. have quite a few to choose from at this point. In one of the remixing projects, the primary reverb was a 224 Lexicon, which is a yeah. lovely unit. There's no question about that. In terms of delays, I'm still trying to find a favorite and I'm still hunkering through a few. The ones that I was reaching for most on this last little bit of mixing that I was doing was either the Precision Delay or the Korg SDD 3000. I would like a delay that's more like the Logic Delay Designer because that thing is just absolutely phenomenal. It's unfortunate it's not a third-party thing. Somebody needs to get on top of that and make a yeah, delay that, That's a deep one. <laughs> I know, flexible one. Yeah. In terms right. of reverb units, I already mentioned the 224. The new one that I've really liked and been using a fair amount is the Sound City one that you mentioned. I mm. also really love T-Verb. It's awesome on guitars, which is where I tend to use it most. Eventide Shimmer Verb is a real nice effect reverb that I will yes. use very sparingly on instruments or vocals from time to time. Sound design-wise, I agree, the black hole's awesome, but I have actually used it on a vocal, which worked really well for the concept of the song. Those are probably the things that come to mind at the most right now. I mean, you mentioned black hole there, using it in an actual song, but I said the, the overall thing, I think, just as like words of caution here when people are starting out with mixing it is... A lot of times with reverb, a little bit goes a long way. And yes, same it with does. delay, mm -hmm. right? I think the danger is that when we start getting into these tools, both reverb and delay are such a drastic effect that we hear it immediately what's going on, right? So it tends to be like, oh my God, that sounds fantastic. More is more, right? <laughs> so more and more is less is less. A lot of times, more here is not better. I know from my personal development, learning how to scale back on, on things like reverb and delay made wonders for my mixing. 
anyway. Yeah. Unless it's a call for like, oh, this needs to be drenched, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then you do that. But a lot of times a little bit goes a long way. I don't disagree. Yeah. And of course, don't assume when you sit down to do a mix that actually everything needs a reverb or delay, right? I think that's another thing that is hard to learn first. I mentioned at the top, oh, replacing all the instruments in whatever space it is, right? Well, not everything belongs there. Does everything need to be there? Does nope. it add anything or just, just add mud to the mix? Mm -hmm. Generally, like I don't use said. a lot of room, if any at all, on bass. Bass is usually yeah, bone dry. Absolutely. Because that will smear and mess up your low end instantly. To no right? end. So, yes. And the last tip I would give, EQ your returns, whether that's delay or reverb. Mm -hmm. And that will help them sit a lot better because if you get a lot down in the low end of the reverbs, the low end is hard to get done great as it is. So adding a whole lot of reverb down there is generally not doing your mix any good. Don't be afraid to carve out a lot down there. Exactly. And same thing for the for the top end, I guess. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I just want to point out that next week will be our NAM episode. We are looking forward to that. Indeed. It should be fun. All right. Let's move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got this week? I dug something up from my long list of plugins here that I got to use and did a really, really good job on some editing that I was doing. And that is Slate Digital's Fresh Air. Fresh Air adds harmonics to, to bring out the air, as the name implies, the high end or the high mids. It really did a good job on what I had to do. I can't really talk about it too much, what I'm doing, because it's not released. Uh -huh. <laughs> it worked really well on that. And the only caution with this one is that it's really easy to overdo because it can sound really, really good instantly. And then you listen back, it's like, oh my God, I got to dial that back a little bit. But it did a great job and it does a good job on that. So so fresh air from Slate Digital. And what do you have, Jody? What do you got for us? I'm going with a 500 series unit this week by... Hardware. Yes, hardware. By nice. endorphin.es. I'm assuming it's supposed to be pronounced endorphins, but endorphin period es they have a product called the golden master it is a compressor with three bands it has eq and it has a stereo enhancer this is primarily designed for people who feel like they need a little bit more control over bringing a bunch of elements together in a mix hence nice. golden master while we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word SPACE. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. All right, talk to you later, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have an awesome day. Bye.